Université Paris 1, Panthéon Sorbonne. Yeah, okay. So, um, this will be my last talk here. Too bad. It was a very nice uh, time uh, to stay here. Um, today I will use the blackboard only. And the reason is uh, that I will not talk about my own work this time, but I will talk about uh, um, some basic uh, results about sparse coding and compressed sensing. You remember that the last two talks I gave were about uh, sparse coding and how we apply it and developed it further, the algorithms. And then a few questions came up which, uh, uh, about statements I made in these talks. And uh, so I had the idea um, to present a little bit more of the basic uh, groundbreaking results in that area. And uh, so what uh, I will talk about is mainly work from uh, Bruckstein, Donohoe and Elat. So they, had a, they have a very nice review paper about sparse coding and compressed sensing. Um, very nice to read. And uh, I will also talk a little bit about some groundbreaking uh, results of Candes, Romberg, and uh, Terence Tao. I don't know. Does anybody know Terence uh, Tao? He is, uh, yeah, I've heard, some kind of pop star mathematician. He got, he's uh, 36 years old. He got the Fields Medal with 31 uh, about number theory, not about that stuff I will talk about. And uh, a colleague of mine, he's organizing the German Mathematics Olympics. And uh, the last time they had uh, this event, you, you have this in France too, I guess, right? The Mathematics Olympics. Uh, it's, it's like a, where young uh, people from schools uh, are competing. And then, and then, uh, then the countries also have uh, international mathematics. Uh, yeah. so, the, so the main German event, uh, they had Terence Tao as a guest. And uh, all the... The, the, the young people there, they were screaming, you know, when he, when he came up to the, to the <laughs> stage, you know, they were screaming like in the pop concert. Uh, so uh, he's uh, relatively famous uh, because he was so young when he got the Fields Medal. So um, I will talk about some basic stuff. So the basic idea is, or problem setting is the following. We have signals, S means uh, vectors out of uh, r to the power of n, n-dimensional space, like images. So we were dealing in with images in the last uh, talks. These are s. And we have, so these are signals. And we have a so-called dictionary. This is a matrix n times n, m, and uh, m can be much larger than n. So this dictionary is more or less a set of basis vectors in the columns. And um, the, we are dealing with, situation, with situations where the signal s 
can be encoded with this dictionary in this way, but x is sparse. And sparse means that the zero norm is not a real norm, but it counts the number of non-zero elements in the vector x. And the number of non-zero elements, k, is small compared to the dimension of the signal. Yeah? So it can be, the signals can be described in a much sparser way than the dimension of them. And um, so the, the dictionary set here has to be appropriate so that in this set these signals can be uh, sparsely encoded. And when the number m is much larger than n, we have the nice situation that we have a broad spectrum of different basis vectors we can choose from. So there's a high chance that we indeed can find a sparse set of these columns which encode S. So the situation is, so this is a vector S, this is a large matrix of column vectors here, and we have a a vector x, where most elements are zero, and only a few of them are non-zero. But so the problem is uh, then immediately, if we have such signals s, how can we determine the vector x? It is clear that it is much more appropriate or advantageous to work with x instead of s because obviously the signal s has a lot of redundancies. We can encode it in a much sparser way. Um, so to deal and to work with x has, has advantages for instance in, uh, in uh, 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 data compression or storage. It is clear so when, so when we uh, want to store the signal itself, we need of the order of n storage space. But if we want to encode, if we work with x, x instead of s, we only have of the order of k. So this is the number of elements we have here. But then we also have to uh, tell or store where the elements in these vectors, and the information we need to store uh, where the elements are is of the order of log m. Yeah? So here we have k times log m storage space we need in this case. And this, this can be much, much smaller than the original signal. Yeah? So it's, and, but also for, for classification tasks, you know, that uh, it is always, uh, or usually it is an advantage to reduce the redundancy or noise or whatever, so this can be helpful to work with x. But then the problem is how can we find x? We have an underdetermined system here. We have to solve equation system. And um, so we want to find the sparsest solution, more or less, uh, for encoding s. So one way, uh, so the problem 
uh, to find x is, I denote it with problem 0, is minimize the 0 norm of x under the condition that the x are solutions of our equation system. Subject to that this equation system is valid. So this is a problem one would like to solve. However, um, this problem is NP-hard. Yeah, because if we want, really want to find um, the subset, um, the smallest non-zero uh, number of elements, we more or less have to go through all the combinations which are possible here, all permutations and so on. Um, so this is a, a problem, uh, a discrete optimization problem, and it's in p-hard. So, so this situation is bad. So for a long time, that was the end. But then um, there was an idea coming up that perhaps instead of minimizing the zero norm, perhaps it helps to approximate uh, the zero norm not to take the, the zero norm itself, but an approximation. So the zero norm itself can be written as follows. This is Lemus p to infinity, sum over all elements of x, and here the absolute value to the power of p. This gives you, this gives you the number of non-zero elements. So an approximation would be to say, okay, instead of this, we take the p norm to the power of p, and this is 1 or 1 to m. All the numbers of x to the power of p. So instead of this, take this here for small p values. Yeah, so if we take small p values, we have an approximation. And if we look what these values here look like, So if p is going to 0, we only have a contribution if x is equal to 0. So for smaller ones, non-zero elements, it looks like this. And for p equal to 1, it looks like this equal to 2, it looks like this. So we have the situation that as long as p is smaller than 1, the whole problem is still non-convex. Uh, uh, non 
sorry. Goes to zero. So we have a situation as long as p is smaller than one, the whole problem is still non-convex and still and p hard. But as soon as p is one, the problem becomes convex. And uh, so p equal to one is the smallest p where the problem becomes easy, namely convex. So the idea is instead of solving this problem here. Solve. We have something for the blackboard. Ah, here. Instead of solving p zero, solve p one, which is minimize the one norm subject to. same. And this here is now a linear problem, so it can be uh, solved by linear programming. So this is easy then. There are software packages and large systems of uh, these kind of equations can be solved very quickly. So then we would have a solution for finding the x. And then it turned out when the people look closer to that, perhaps we are lucky, and uh, or what should the situation be like, that perhaps by solving this problem, the solution is also a solution of this one here. And it turns out that this is really the case. In many, in many situations, um, solving this problem is exactly the solution of this problem. So then we have an exact uh, linear solver, which brings us a solution to this, in general, very hard problem of the zero. And uh, so this was one of the, the main results, which made it very attractive for people from signal processing um, to go into that field. So that this is a case that really P1 provides solutions for P0. Um, this matrix A has to have certain properties. And the K has to be small enough. So these are two uh, properties which have to be valid, two conditions, that it works. And the question is, how should the, the dictionary A here look like? If, if the dictionary A, if all the columns here would be orthogonal to each other, then the whole problem would be easy to solve. But of course, this is not the case, because we have here the, the number of columns is larger than the dimensionality of them. So this is not the case. But it is helpful, the whole situation is easier, if the matrix A is as orthogonal as possible, so to speak. Yeah, and this can, so one measure which was helpful to introduce was the so-called mutual coherence. The mutual coherence says the following, mu of A of the matrix is equal to, now we look at pairwise column vectors. 
and the scalar product of that. And we are interested in the absolute value. So if these are small or zero or close to zero, then it's very orthogonal, so to speak, the whole matrix. So this should be small and the maximum value of it over all column, pairs of column vectors and i unequal to j. So I have to say that, uh, I forgot to say that before, the column vectors should be normalized to 1. The column vectors shall be normalized to 1 so, uh, so that here in this case, if the maximum value of these pairwise uh, scalar products, if, if this is small, then for m, yeah, sorry. So if all of them are, are small, then we are, so to speak, uh, very orthogonal in, in our dictionary. And it turns out that this is helpful. So um, what one can show then, finally, is the following. And this was one of the main results, sparse coding results. Here, so A, S, L, N, A, just for remembering. And the, the main result is theorem if X is a solution of P0, with the following properties, the zero norm of x is smaller than 1 half, 1 plus 1 over mu of A, then X is the unique solution of P1 and also the unique solution of P0. Yeah? So that means if our signal can be sparsely encoded, so sparse that this condition is fulfilled, then we will find this solution by our linear programming uh, task, so easy task. So this is, here we see that if the mu is small, then the, the sparsity uh, condition is uh, relaxed, and for if the mu is large, so the orthogonality is not given, uh, um, so good, then uh, yeah, the x has to, be, has to be small, the zero norm, the sparsity. So this is, was one of the main results. Um, and uh, to prove it, 
the idea is the following. The idea. We look, look at all vectors delta, which are have the condition that a of delta, a times delta is 0. So if this is the case, then each delta can be added to x. And we still have a solution of our equation, a times of this equation here. So if we add a delta here, which fulfills this condition here, then we have another solution of our equation system. So we want to look at all other solutions, which might be possible. But these other solutions, all of them, the one norm of them, shall be smaller than our one norm of our solution. So the set of all these elements shall be empty. So that means all other solutions which are possible here for our equation, there should be no solution where the one norm is smaller than x. If we can show that, there's no solution where the one norm is smaller or equal to our, our x we have. If this set is empty, then we have proven our theory. And um, the, the idea is that we have two conditions which have to be fulfilled in our set, this condition here and this condition. And uh, step by step, one relaxes these conditions so the set here becomes larger. And uh, at the end, we have a larger set than in the beginning. But one can show that if this condition is fulfilled, the set is still empty. Yeah? So one enlarges the set. But at the end, one can show that it's still empty. And how does it look like, the, the basic idea? So if we relax this condition here, relax this condition. We can write this condition also in a different way. We can write it like that here. J equal 1 to m. Now we look at the column vectors. No, no, no. I have to. We have the condition a times delta equal to 0. And we multiply it with a transposed. So this re might relax this condition in the first step. But then we write it in this way, aj transposed ai delta i delta j. Sorry, this way. 
equal to 0 for all indices i. The diagonal elements here, they are 1 because we, we said that all the column vectors are normalized to 1. So the diagonal vectors here, the diagonal elements are 1. And uh, I put them on the other side. So we can write it like this here. So j unequal to i. minus delta i for all i. Then I take the absolute values on both sides. Then this becomes larger or equal, like that. And now we can use our mutual coherence here. Because all these values here are smaller or equal to mu. And then we have delta j, delta i, like this. We can write it like this. Now, we, on both sides, we add the diagonal elements again. So we have here mu times delta i plus this plus mu delta i. And now we have here, we can put it together again. We have here mu j1 to m delta j larger or equal 1 plus mu delta i. And this here is the one norm of our vector here. So we have mu times the one norm of our vector is larger than 1 plus mu delta i, the absolute value. Yeah. So here we see how the mutual coherence comes into this uh, whole situation, which then finally ends up um, into this condition. So that was relaxing this condition. And uh, the other way of relaxing this condition here is like follows. Do we have some more time left? Yeah, I think so. We can do it. So the relaxing this condition is we can write it like follows. This condition is also zero x times delta one norm minus one norm of x, and what one assumes now is, without loss of generality, that all the non-zero elements of x are in the first k uh, elements, are the first k elements, and the others are zero. So this is 
then can be written as sum over i times 1 to k xi plus delta i minus xi plus sum over i larger than k, and there the, the x elements are 0. So then we only have this here. This cancels out the x, only the one norm remains. So one can write it like this. And then um, this here is smaller. I can write it here. This is smaller than minus a 1 to k delta i plus some i larger than k delta i. Yes. For any x, this is with the minus sign. One can show that. And now what we do now is we, <coughs> we add these elements on both sides. Uh, we, we subtract it here and add it here. So what one can write is this is smaller or equal to minus 2 i times 1 to k plus i times 1 to k delta i absolute values, oh, no, there was something, delta i, absolute value. So here we see, we again, this, wait a second, This is again the the one norm here. So the smaller or equal to minus two i times one to k plus the one norm of our vector delta. Yes, and uh, I forgot. So now what, what one can do is, one can then use this equation here, put the delta i into here, then we, only, we have an equation only with the one norm of delta. If we now combine these two, we have an equation only with the one norm of delta. Here we have the factor 2, which leads to 1 half. And uh, so one has the condition that finally, we combine both, we obtain so if you combine this equation and this equation here, we obtain k smaller or equal 
one half. So k here is the k one half one plus one over mu. We obtain this, and what that means is if vice versa. Vice versa, if the k now is smaller than this condition here, then the set here is still empty. So this was this the basic idea of, of the whole proof. Relax these conditions and then end up with this one here. The set is much larger now. But if we still then enforce the k to be smaller than this, the, the set still is empty. So that was uh, one main result of uh, the sparse coding um, community. Now one can deal with these situations in an exact way. One can find exact sparse coding solutions by solving a linear, easy linear program. Now the next step was this idea of compressed sensing. And the idea of compressed sensing is basically the following. So we, ha we have our equation, S equal a times x, and uh, all the signals are sparsely encoded. That should be the case. So the, the non-zero elements, the number of them, is much smaller than the dimension of s. And the question is, do we need the whole s to determine x? We want to work with x, not with s, with a reduced redundancy. Now, to determine x, do we really need the whole s? If the, whole, if the s is much, much larger, the elements of s, than the sparsity, probably, probably we don't need all of it. Yeah? Can we reduce it in a, in a step? And uh, then the idea is one introduces a so-called sensing matrix, m, element r, P times N. This is called a sensing matrix. So does it help to work with M times S, which is equal to M times A times X, and with the P which is much smaller than n. So if the p is much smaller than n, the, the dimensionality of y is much smaller than s. So if we find such a matrix where we simply multiply our signals with, um, perhaps then we can work with y uh, instead of s. And it's helpful because the dimensionality is much lower. But to be able to be able to do that, 
this matrix here still has to have the properties we need to reconstruct X. So the properties we were talking about before. So if these properties here are still fulfilled, then it's helpful to use such a matrix M and uh, to work then with Y. So this is uh, the main idea that compressive, so this is called compressive sensing. Compressive sensing, so we compress our signal by just multiplying it with the matrix M. Compressing sensing is possible if So this is B times X, so this is B. If B still has the properties to reconstruct X. So then, then it works. And um, perhaps even it might also be the case that the matrix A, our dictionary, does not have the properties to reconstruct X. But if we find an appropriate matrix M, perhaps the result of the multiplication, the matrix B, has the properties. So this might also be a second aspect that uh, when A is not nice enough, one multiplies it with the, with the matrix M, and we have then a matrix we can work with for our reconstruction. So this is so we have two aspects uh, to compress it, to produce the dimensionality, and also perhaps to make A nicer to work with. So these metrics, compressive sensing matrix, is quite important. And the other core idea now, or uh, result now, was that it is helpful. Um, so the question is, how should the matrix M look like? And it turns out we come very, very far with a very high probability, overwhelming probability, by taking a random matrix M. So we don't have to somehow uh, make uh, complicated calculations to find the M. No, we just take a random matrix. Random matrix already takes us very far. So that was another very important idea. So the, co the second core idea of compressed sensing is take a random matrix, sensing matrix M. So for instance, if we take a, a, a random sensing matrix M, let's say the elements of M are chosen IID from a Gaussian distribution. Then, if we multiply it with our A, the, the columns of A are normalized, then also the elements of our matrix B are IID from a Gaussian distribution. Yeah? And uh, one can then work with that property of the matrix B and uh, can see uh, what we get. And uh, we get the following. 
namely what we are interested in, what is important for us, is the mutual coherence. So the mutual coherence of our matric, matrix B should be small, then uh, it's nice. So what one can show is that the, with overwhelming probability, the, the mutual coherence of the matrix B is equal to the square root of log P times M divided by P. So P here was the dimensionality of Y. M was the number of elements we have in our matrix B. Yes, so then this goes with the logarithm, the number of elements. It doesn't cost much to take a large dictionary. The dimensionality P here goes with the square root. So to have our conditions fulfilled that everything works nicely, to have this condition fulfilled, the compressive, so the compression we can achieve, namely the number P we want to make small, the compression we, we can achieve is of the order of K squared times logarithm of M. Yeah. So if I put, put this in here, the square root here becomes a square in the k, finally. So that means the compression we can achieve by simply multiplying with a random matrix and everything still works perfectly is of the order of k squared times log n. Yes. This year or this year? This one here? Um, yeah, I cannot. This was just a result one, one gets. I cannot explain that uh, in a quick way. So, uh, um, yeah, one has to, to see what the, the eigenvalues usually, one looks at the eigenvalues of B of a random matrix. Uh, so, this is a result I just put in here. Yeah. yeah. Probably it's not so difficult, I would guess. Uh, but with this result, one becomes, one obtains this result here. So we can compress it up to this value here. But then we see that there's still space for improvement. Because we saw in the beginning that for storing our x, we need k times log m storage space. So here, we have a compression of k squared. So there's still space to become uh, better in our compression rate. And this was then uh, the very groundbreaking breaking result of Kandis, Romberg, and Tao. They showed that one can be better. And uh, so this is the last part of my talk. Uh, how they did it in principle. So what they introduced so what they introduced is was uh, another measure for orthogonality. So we had our mutual coherence up to now to see how orthogonal our matrix A still is and they used a different 
or introduced a different measure, namely so-called restricted isometry constants. Restricted isometry property. And what is what does this measure looks like? If we have an orthogonal matrix, let's say our matrix is uh, this is not the case, and uh, but let's say our B. If B is orthogonal and we multiply it with a vector C, any vector, and then look what the length of the result is, then the length of the result does not change the length of our vector C. Yeah. If B is an orthonormal matrix, then this length of the vector C does not change. Now in our case, uh, this is not true. If the, if the B uh, is a rectangular matrix, like in our case, this can even become zero. Yeah? If we find a, uh, it just has this vector C has to be in the null space of B, then the result is zero. Yeah. So uh, this is not the case, but perhaps um, if we look, so this is our matrix B. If we only if we only take a subset of columns out of the whole matrix, perhaps the subset still is has a certain degree of orthogonality left. Yeah. And so one looks at subsets of this uh, uh, matrix, of these columns, and then again looks whether the length is conserved of, the, of some vector C. So this is then the restricted isometry property. This is the following. Let's say BT is a subset, submatrix, of S columns, then one looks at Bt times C, Bt times C, the length of this vector. And the length is not perfectly conserved, but perhaps it only slightly Perhaps it only slightly deviates from the original length. So it can be smaller, it can be larger, but hopefully only slightly. Yeah? So in this delta S measures, so it's the smallest constant one can find that this relation is true for any vector C and for any subset Bt. 
So if s is equal to 1, if we only take one vector out of b, so this is a, the simplest case, then we have here a normalized column here, column vector. This is transposed here. Um, in this case, uh, no, sorry. So, um, so if, we have, if, if s is equal to 1, this delta s is 0. Uh, for s equal to 1, the delta s is 0. Yeah, then uh, the, the length of the vector, of any vector, is conserved. If s is equal to 2, so if we always to take two vectors here, pairwise, then the delta s is equal to our mutual coherence mu. Yeah. And the larger s, the larger the deviation from the isometry property. And for s equal to p plus 1, so if the matrix, submatrix here becomes rectangular, the delta s uh, is 1. The delta s is 1 here. So the result, the length can become 0 by multiplication. So this was a different measurement of the orthonormality property of our matrix B instead of the mutual coherence, what was used before. And uh, they had the, the nice result, finally, that if one takes a random, no, this is the next step. So they had the, the nice result if the following property is fulfilled, delta k plus delta 2k plus delta 3k, if this is smaller than 1, this is smaller than 1, then solving the linear program is the same as solving the p0 problem. So what we had before with this condition, now they have a different one with a different, me different measure. Instead of mutual coherence, they had these deviations from the isometry property. So if, if this is fulfilled, everything is perfect, and we can obtain perfect results. So and they now have uh, taken a look with this new result. What happens if we take, again, a random matrix B? So with this measurement, we obtained this result. But if one takes this new result here into account, one obtains that <coughs> this condition here is fulfilled with overwhelming probability. If, we, if one takes Gaussian uh, random Gaussian random matrix, if k is smaller or equal to a constant c times p over log m. Yes. So if, if this is the case, yeah, so the k is small enough measured by these quantities, then this condition is fulfilled and everything works perfect. Yeah. And if we translate that, go to p, then we see that the p now 
can be of the order of k times log n. Yeah? So if we take a random matrix, multiply our signal s, we can reduce uh, our vector y to an order of magnitude which is optimal, because we know it cannot be smaller than this here, k times log n. And uh, so they have shown that even with a random matrix, one can compress it just by multiplication and compress our uh, signal to the theoretical limit of the order of the theoretical limit. Yeah? So that was a, a very nice result again. And um, so people from signal processing, as I said, they have been working in that area and they are using it uh, to a large extent, these uh, concepts here. And uh, yeah, the, it's, it's very astonishing What's astonishing is what we can do is we can simply, let's say we have a lot of signals coming in and we want to store it. Yeah. We just have to multiply it with a random matrix and compress it to a large extent and then we store the compressed signal. And we can store it for years and then let's say after 50 years we want to reconstruct our signals. It is not necessary, when we store it, it's not necessary to know what the matrix A has to look like. So we don't need the dictionary, the appropriate dictionary for our signals. We just have to know that they, there is a signal, uh, there is a dictionary where the signals can be sparsely encoded, but we don't have to know exactly what it looks like. Because just by multiplying it and compressing it, um, at the end we are still able, also if after years, then we want to reconstruct it, then we have to see what the matrix A looks like we have to work with, and then we can start to reconstruct our X um, uh, by simply solving a linear program. And, the, and the, if these conditions are fulfilled, we obtain the exact reconstruction of our original signal. And uh, so, uh, yeah, this is quite interesting that just by a simple multiplication of a random matrix, more is not necessary to do. We only have to take a closer look when sometimes we want to really reconstruct it. And um, so there are uh, a lot of applications. Um, one application, for instance, is in uh, nuclear magnetic imaging. Uh, a colleague of mine, he works with Philips. Philips, they are building these big machines where you lie in a tube and uh, uh, there's something going around and measuring uh, your brain, for instance. And um, the signals, S, one wants to measure here, the S, um, is now, nowadays, they take as many signal, uh, as many, many measurements as are necessary uh, according to the Shannon theory. But if the signal S can be sparsely encoded, the number of measurements can be highly reduced. Yeah, just as again, simply 
with some random process, it can be highly reduced. And this is, has a high advantage for the patient, for instance. The, the, the radiation uh, can be lower. The time the patient has to lie in the tube can be lower. So this is one area where people uh, hope to find an improvement with this concept. And, uh, and there are also other, other measurements, like in ge uh, uh, geophysical measurements. Yeah, like uh, there are uh, companies looking for oil, for instance. They, uh, this is the Earth. They put uh, sources, like uh, big machines, which with a certain frequency are uh, punching on the Earth. Yeah, then you get uh, waves. And they have several of them. From above, they have to position them. And with the Shannon theorem, yeah, to, all, to, get, to get the whole signal, it has, it has to be a high number. But if the, whole, if the signal at the end can be sparsely encoded, one can reduce the number of machines necessary to measure the waves at the end. Uh, and to get the exact original signal one is interested in. So there are very different application areas where uh, Compressed sensing or compressive sensing is used, and uh, all what is, has to be fulfilled is that the signals can be sparsely encoded. Okay, this was uh, more or less uh, what I wanted to say as a basis, basic information for all the stuff I had been talking before in the last talks. So thanks a lot. I hope. Thank you.